common theme in Paul's letters is calling people to humble themselves and serve one another. We'll find that in this particular chapter. But when you think about it, the call of Christ on our lives is to love one another as an application of our faith in Him. But it, it has a deeper connection in that because that's who He is in character. And so what we're being called to is a similar activity and response. And so when Paul's making these declarations and we're reading it in Philippians, we're realizing, wow, there's, a, there's a, an appropriateness for that call in this church, in this day. But it's a call that fits every church in every era because people are basically the same in what we're being called to. Is a lifestyle that uh, has been the call of the ages. It says, if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. So he has this desire that they would function together in unity. It's just like Jesus' prayer in John 17. Uh, that they may be one. You know, he's, it, there's this call that says, let's work together. Let's, let's let our lives be blended together. Let's serve one another. All of that is put together, and he's saying, you've had these wondrous encounters. You've had this comfort of soul come to you from the Lord. You've had this encouragement about life. You've had these experiences in the Spirit. He says, all of that's taking place, well then, move it into application and allow it to be led, lived out. This living with one another and serving one another. He says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also the interests of others. I think all of us uh, can look at that and say, well, yeah, there's a lot of people that ought to be participating in that. And I can point to different ones that need to get it together. All you need to do is get married to find out how selfish you really are. And then have kids if you think you've got it figured out by then. But that's, that's an ordinary part of life because two imperfect people get together and it doesn't take long for you to start seeing the imperfections in the other. You excuse your own, but it, it, when you start looking at the other, it's, suddenly this is intolerable. We don't have to live this way. We don't have to put up with this. And you make this decision, I'm going to take care of it. And regularly, we make selfish choices that say, I'm going to fix this so they'll see and see the error of their ways, and, and then we'll, we'll move on. And regularly, they either see it or don't care or don't get it, and you're left with this position of saying, I'm just getting more and more angry. In the Lord, there is a call to participate with others in their weaknesses 
and to fill in the gaps and not to worry about the payday, so to speak. I just debate how many stories to share. My wife's gone this morning, so. <laughs> no, I, I'll tell on myself, but I remember at one point I wasn't satisfied with the bookkeeping in our household. Char's always wanted to take care of the books. And, and uh, the woman is fantastic at shooting from the hip. It's not the aiming, it's quick draw. But she's incredible. But if I were to ask her, what's our balance? <laughs> Ain't gonna happen. So at one point in our marriage, I order the software and dutifully record each check through the month. Did this for a couple years. And then it wears out because the only real reason I'm doing it is anger. Nothing's really changed in our home. Nothing is any different financially. It's just that I have this mindset of what I think needed to happen. So I dropped it. She still does a great job. It's just different than I thought it should be done. I could name to you a dozen things that way. But the fruit that comes out of it when you're in that mode is just more of a stewing anger or a, 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 at times bitterness or just a, a, a burnout that says, I can't keep doing this. But in the Lord when there's a call to something like this. This is a lifetime call. And so when we wrestle through these things, there's a commitment that says, now to the end. <laughs> I want to read the next verses. I want you to have that in mind as we read it. Have this in mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant. So he let go of everything. Let go of everything that was precious. Emptied and became a servant. Being born in the likeness of men, being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Now we spent time before looking at how humiliating it would be for God to become human. And even though he's doing things on earth that exceed what you and I do, it still would have been humiliating. When you are fixing an eye when you really created the eye, it's just not that impressive to you anymore. When you, know, when, you, when you are changing water to wine, but you made the water, you made the wine, you made it all, it's humiliating to be 
you know, so simple. So the question comes, when does this serving end? Well, for Christ it came at death. It's a good answer. When will your serving end? When you die. Get used to it. That's the call. Yeah, but he didn't live as long. <laughs> well, <laughs> don't know what to tell you. It's, it's this thing of, he chose that to bless us. He chose to humble himself. He chose to empty himself. He chose to serve as a part of his character. Because he said they needed it. They needed his intervention. We needed his intervention. And so that's what he did. And so Paul is captured to this understanding, and so he's bringing this awesome thing to the, to the believers and saying, take on this attitude as well. Begin serving. He goes on and says, Therefore God highly exalted him, bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So he says, even though it ended at death, the resurrection victory was worth it. And the same mindset needs to be a part of our lives. That the service to Christ is entirely worth it when taken on an eternal perspective. So we embrace this. Now, this is not, this is not the just stepping in because a lazy person says, I want you to do something for me. But rather, it's sometimes God calls us to assist the lazy person. Sometimes he tells us not to. But the willingness to respond is what's appropriate. Sometimes we see incompetence, and that does not mean that it is the call, but there is a responsibility to, in the Lord to say, I could fix this. Do you want it fixed? And whether that person will be able to maintain it is irrelevant. It's what does God want in this situation? Sometimes we look at weakness and say, well, I should be stronger than that, but uh, well, I guess I go encourage him again. And yet, is it in the Lord? Or is it just this self-driven thing that says, I don't want to live this way? Fine line, it looks the same to the outside, but significantly different when lived out in the Lord. If you find yourself continually burning out, living in bitterness and anger, then I would suggest to you that much of your motives are self-driven. But if you are locked into a form of giving and serving, and yet it seems that there's this reward going on anyway, and a joy of life, so to speak, 
I mean, one of the true, going back to the marriage illustration, one of the true beauties of marriage is that for some reason, the more you serve that person, the more you love them. I don't get it, but it works. And then you can take that wider into the church and the community and every sphere that you look at. But there's an awesomeness connected to it that God understood and he opens the door as a possibility for us. Going on in this chapter, he, he discusses kind of the theology of it all and the implications, and he says, Therefore, beloved, as you've always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. He... he I love this verse because it doesn't suggest that we have it all together, but we continue to press on and, and tweak things, so to speak. We come to the Lord, we embrace His salvation, but there's this ongoing life and struggle and wrestling, and yet it's appropriate in Him. And He says, it's the Lord that's working in your heart to accomplish his deeds. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. He says you, you live this way? Your life is going to take on a glow, so to speak, to the rest there's going to be a knowledge something is going on inside of that person that isn't going on in me. Holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. So as you live like that, I'm going to be proud of you. He says, even if I'm being poured out like a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I'm glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. One of the things that, that Paul, sitting in prison, is looking at and, and just looking at, he says, it's like my life is just being poured out. You know, here's everything. It's just being dumped. And, and it's not being drunk. It's, not be, it's just poured out. Yet in, the God, in God, there was a value to that. Just like the Old Testament sacrifice of the drink offering, poured out unto the Lord. He's looking at his life and saying, even in that, there's a value. Finally, in this chapter, he, he sets out a couple examples of individuals that are living this. He takes on Timothy and he says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I may too be cheered by news of you says, I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. says, they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. 
He says, Timothy's one of those guys that's living it out. There's something about his life where he has embraced all of this and, and he has a genuine concern. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served me in the gospel. I hope therefore to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. So he's putting in these personal notes and just addressing it and saying, this guy's like a son to me. Serve me. Has concern for you. He's just marking and say, you know, at a boy. <laughs> Next is Epaphroditus. He says, I thought it necessary to send to you, Epaphroditus, my brother, and fellow worker and fellow soldier, your messenger and minister to my need. So they had sent a guy out. He's serving them, Paul. For he's been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. So looking at it, this guy came to serve, got sick, and kind of is longing for home now. Indeed, he was ill near to death, but God had mercy in him, not only to him, but also to me lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. Can you imagine them sending someone to him and he dies? Bad PR. <laughs> but more than that, Paul's just going, it, it looked touch and go. I was afraid that he was going to die and I'd have to send back that news to you. Even in this, man goes to serve. It doesn't work out like planned. Now, I'm sure the church prayed about it. I'm sure Epaphroditus prayed about it. I'm sure Paul prayed about it. It all seemed good. He gets there, he gets sick, and it falls apart. Not at all taking place what you would anticipate. Unable to do what he'd hoped to do. But listen to the attitude that Paul carries on with this. I'm going to send him back that you may rejoice and see him again. I may be less anxious. He says it's just better if he goes home. But receive him with joy and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Treat him like a hero. It didn't, it didn't turn out the way we thought. But the fact that he came to serve, and, and that was blessing enough. The fact that, that he was here and, and you know, was serving the Lord, Paul takes a joy in that and says, honor this guy. Gave his best. He nearly died for this thing. Did, did his plans get fulfilled? Not even close. At least that's what I, the impression I get. But Paul's still taking this, this morsel and saying, honor him, rejoice, be thankful that he lived. You know, but it, it, I, I'm looking at this attitude, and I'm going, he's not demeaning him, he's not insulting the situation, he's not saying, you know, next time, send someone that's healthy. Uh, 
he's not looking at the negative of this, but he's, he's looking at a life who's committed to Christ, who's working out his salvation, so to speak, and he's honoring him in the process. And I look at that, and I'm, I'm kind of amazed. It's easy for us to pick at the weakness or to, you know, just, why? Whereas when Paul's saying, as a servant, you rejoice in whatever's been invested. You attempt to honor God in all things. You look around you and you do what you can. But you realize the, the frailties of life, so to speak. And you honor the Lord even in those things. I'm going to read those first four verses one more time. If you have any encouragement, any comfort... Any participation, any affection and sympathy, make my joy complete being the same mind, the same love, being in full accord of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also the interests of others. Just stand with me, please. These verses are so practical, they almost don't seem spiritual, do they? But it's horribly annoying, the confrontation of spirit that comes when we read them. And God probes us in our heart and says, I want you to change this, or I want you to take care of this. So we pray, Lord, that you'd make our hearts willing and obedient to carry out the application of your gospel that you would cause us to see with your eyes and our hearts truly would be transformed, that we would be loving toward all, that we would be servants of one another, that we would pour out our lives for the sake of your kingdom, doing this until death. Charlie and Kurt shared very similar thoughts this morning. God calling us to things that we may not think are significant, but He does. And as we respond in faith, it opens the door to all that He wants to do in blessing us. Glory had that same sensation that this is something that God is wanting to do in our midst even today. I'd like to encourage you in this line of serving one another that sometimes God calls us to things and you're going, I don't know if I can do this all my life. I don't know that I can take this track. Take the first step, then the second. And at some point you discover it doesn't really matter if the situation ever changes. I just know this is the path I'm on. Often it's then then things are finally released. But it's like there's this test of our willingness to walk where we don't see. 
and to live out health where we don't see the reward immediate, yet somehow it has this impact that's awesome. So I'd encourage you, let the Lord speak to your heart, but then walk in the obedience of what he tells you. May your blessing rest on these, your people. May they know the fullness of favor that you intend for their lives. May they discover with joy the wonder of being poured out in service unto you. The realization that nothing gets left unrewarded. May our eternal hope be enough to drive this life. I pray, Lord, that as each one goes into the community, that you'll give them words of life to speak over others. I pray that their deeds will be fitting with the workings of your kingdom, that they would be loving toward all. I ask that you'll enable them with the supernatural, that your name might be lifted up and exalted. We love you this day. Amen. God bless you. I remind you there's a meal downstairs, and again, the annual meeting following that.